You're always going to be guilty of something. Always. For example, take a um, you know, friendly neighborhood pastor who shall remain nameless. He loves sourdough a little too much. In fact, he would have brought a loaf of sourdough to church today, but then he would have been distracted for the entirety of his sermon as he was thinking about eating that sourdough rather than preaching the gospel. He eats a little bit too much sourdough. He's definitely guilty of that. He has been known to be too loud at football games from time to time. Now, I do recognize that this is international football, but the reason I picked that image is because there is nobody crazier than a Brazil fan other than this guy. He has been known to get a little carried away from time to time. He is also often a little too underdressed at the lake. Um, But just before you get your knickers in a knot about that, may I present to you Exhibit A. This is Turtle Crush, uh, like the real Turtle Crush. Please notice his bathing attire. We know that the Lord God made everything that is, pronounced everything that is good, right? And he did not create any living being with a bathing suit. I'm just saying. I rest my case. This nameless pastor is definitely guilty of that. He, um, <clears throat> he eats too much ice cream. He's too liberal for um, conservative people. He's too conservative for liberal people. And he's much too concerned about the gospel for moderates. He, uh, he can't win. Neither can you. Which is kind of the point of <laughs> Isaiah 43. Have a listen. But now, thus says the Lord who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I've called you by name, you are mine. When you pass through the waters, I'll be with you, and through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through fire, you shall not be burned, and the flame shall not consume you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel. I give Egypt as your ransom, Cush and Seba in exchange for you, because you are precious in my eyes and honored, and I love you. I give men in return for you, people in exchange for your life. Fear not, for I am with you. I will bring your offspring from the east, and from the west I will gather you. Woo! I will say to the north, give up, and to the south, do not withhold. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the end of the earth. Everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. Bring out the people who are blind yet have eyes, who are deaf yet have ears. All the nations gather together, all the peoples assemble. Who among them can declare this and show us the former things? Let them bring their witnesses to prove them right, and let them hear and say it is true. You are my witnesses, declares the Lord, and my servant whom I have chosen, that you may know and believe me and understand that I am he. Before me no God was formed, nor shall there be any after me. I, I am the Lord, and beside me there is no Savior. I declared and saved and proclaimed when there was no strange God among you, And you are my witnesses, declares the Lord, and I am God. Also, henceforth, I am he. There is none who can deliver from my hand. I work, and who can turn it back? Thus says the Lord, your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel. For your sake I send Babylon, and bring them all down as fugitives. 
even the Chaldeans and the ships in which they rejoice. I am the Lord, your Holy One, the Creator of Israel, your King. Thus says the Lord, who makes a way in the sea, a path in the mighty waters, who brings... Ooh, I love this part. Wait till I get to this part. Help me, Jesus. Ooh, who makes a path in the mighty waters, who brings forth chariot and horse, army and warrior. They lie down, they cannot rise. They are extinguished, quenched like a wick. Remember not the former things, nor consider the things of old. Behold, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? I will make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. The wild beasts will honor me, the jackals and the ostriches, for I give water in the wilderness, rivers in the desert, to give drink to my chosen people, the people whom I formed for myself, that they might declare my praise. Yet you did not call upon me, O Jacob, but you have been weary of me, O Israel. You have not brought me your sheep for burnt offerings or honored me with your sacrifices. I've not burdened you with offerings or wearied you with frankincense. You've not brought me sweet cane with money or satisfied me with the fat of your sacrifices. But you have burdened me with your sins. You have wearied me with your iniquities. I, I am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake. And I will not remember your sins. Put me in remembrance. Let us argue together. Set forth your case that you may be proved right. Your first father sinned, and your mediators transgressed against me. Therefore, I will profane the princes of the sanctuary and deliver Jacob to utter destruction and Israel to reviling. Can you understand a little bit why Pastor Todd be tripping? I mean, it doesn't get any crazy. I keep saying it. It doesn't get any crazier than this other than maybe Romans and Hebrews. Isaiah 43, I broke it into four parts. We're not going to show the four parts on screen for you today, but I'll hit you with them off the top just so you can hold them in your heart to see if it jumps out at you as we get there. Part one, don't be afraid. Part two, victory is coming. Part three, get your praise on. Part four, don't screw it up. But even if you do, remember, it's not on you, it's on him. Why shouldn't we be afraid? I mean, we're all afraid of judgment, right? And clearly God is judging His people here in this chapter. We're all afraid of judgment. I never met anybody who likes to be judged. Bad enough when your friends judge you? You ever get judged by your friends? They'll point out the silliest things, like your jeans are lame, your hairstyle's ugly, you're getting fat. Like, if you have friends for a long time, they pull no punches. They're like, oh, you had a good summer, which is code for you fat. Right? <laughs> they judge you all the time. Now, you know that they love you, but still, it bothers you a little bit. You go to the gym on Monday, you're like, I'll show you. I'll show you by next summer. Strangers is even worse. You ever had anybody, like, cuss you out for no reason? <laughs> Hi. Welcome home. You ever had anybody cuss you out for no reason? Show me your hand if you ever had somebody, like, freak out on you for no reason. All right, me and Meyer. Amen, right? Now, a few of you. It's so distressing. Like, what did I do? One time, I was just sitting at an intersection. Dude walked by, just like cussed me out. Like the whole way across the sidewalk, it's just cussing me out. I almost jumped out of the car to fight him. That's how upset I was. I was like, who are you to, oh, so upset. We hate being judged. So it's bad enough if your friends do it or complete strangers do it. Now, try this one on for size. Imagine it's the all-powerful God of the universe who's judging you. I would hate that. Would you hate that? I'm like, don't sign me up for that. I'm not in the mood. I don't like that idea. You know, in fact, I don't like that idea so much, 
I think instead, I'm going to become a pluralist materialist. That would be a better way to live. See, if I'm a pluralist, if anything goes, you worship what you want, I'll worship what I want. It's all good, man, whatever. That's a much easier way to be because you can immediately kind of slough off any judgment that comes your way. She's like, that's fine for you, but that's got nothing to do with me. Pluralism is very attractive, especially if you hate judgment. Also, materialism helps because you're like, I only believe in physical matter. That's, I mean, I could sit on this. I only believe in what I can see. This is generally not good for your marriage, though, because you can't see the love of your wife. And the more you focus exclusively on material things, the less you're going to see of the love of your wife. But materialism helps because you're like, nah, there's no God. I can't see him. I can't touch him. I can't taste him. I can't hear him. Who cares what he thinks? That's why so many people you know are pluralists or materialists or both. Now, the thing about pluralism, I love this part, it's all fine and good to be a pluralist until you get two pluralists in the same space at the same time sharing the same resources who all of a sudden decide that they want different things. Then faster than a God-fearer can say, I told you so, you're two pluralists, turn into totalitarians, and it's on. Right? It's hilarious. Our culture is so hilarious. The lengths to which we will go to avoid judgment. And honestly, I feel you. Because judgment is scary. Nobody likes it. Let's find some comfort then in verse 1. But now, thus says the Lord, who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you, I have called you by name, you are mine. First point. If you struggle with fear related to judgment, if you carry a burden of guilt that leads to fear because of judgment, it's my pleasure to tell you today that you don't need to be afraid because you belong to God. You don't belong to you. You belong to God. You belong to God. God created you. He formed you. In the Hebrew here, the word is yatsar. Yatsar is different from bara. Bara is to create it. It it bespeaks, speaking, bara. God spoke everything that is. Yatsar means to fashion, to craft. Yes, it's the word in Genesis, when God made Adam, he made him, he got his hands dirty, he worked at it. God worked on you, God is working on you, for we are his workmanship, created, what? For good works in Christ Jesus. God made you, formed you, he redeemed you, he called you, you belong to him. Here's the big idea for today. So relax. Relax. Verse 2. When you pass through the waters, I'll be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through fire, you shall not be burned, and the flame shall not consume you. This is beautiful. In verse 2 in the Hebrew, it says, when you go over the waters. Go through sounds much worse, like, I don't like swimming. The water looks cold. I'm not in the mood. I don't have a bathing suit. I mean, it's a mess. <laughs> when you go over 
the waters. Of course, we all know there's no avoiding deep waters. Think on that next time you go to great lengths to avoid them. How much of the emotional and spiritual capital of your life, how much of the time you've been given do you spend trying to avoid unavoidable things? <laughs> I could quit right there. That's, that's good. I'll, I'll, I'll take that one home with me today. Can't avoid them, but that's all right because God is with you. Somebody saying amen in their heart? God is with you. And then to emphasize the no matter whatness of this word of comfort, he goes from water to fire. See the lyricism here? It's not meant to be taken literally. Well, the Alabama firewalkers, praise God. That's not what this is about. This is poetry, this is lyric. From water to fire, he's saying, whatever you can imagine. When it comes to the worst case scenario, whether it's water, or maybe you're more like a fire person, don't worry, I got you covered. Verse 2, when you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. And then in Hebrew, he ratchets it up even more. Through the blaze, and it shall not consume you. Isn't blaze better than flame? Because you see the writer who is a prophet, who is foretelling the word of the Lord, is saying, you're scared about the water? Don't worry, I'm with you. You're scared about fire? Don't worry, you'll be all right. And if the fire turns into a blaze, oh, <laughs> it will not consume you. So we're not advocating fire walking here. The point here is that when things go from bad to worse, receive it. Even then, you're going to be okay. So y'all file that one away in the back of your mind for the next time things go from bad to worse. Hear the words of Isaiah. The blaze shall not consume you. Hallelujah. For I am the Lord your God, verse 3, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I give Egypt as your ransom, Cush and Seba in exchange for you. Because you are precious in my eyes and honored and I love you, I give men in return for you, peoples in exchange for your life. What the Lord wants you to know here through his prophet Isaiah is that your okayness is directly related to his godness. How often do we make the mistake of thinking that our relative okayness is directly related to our usness? And the problem is our usness is just kind of a mess. Much better that our okayness should be directly indexed to God's godness. Amen? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You're going to be okay because he's okay. And it's also related to the fact that you've become expensive to him. Literally, that's what it says in the Hebrew. Because you are precious in my eyes. Because you have become expensive to him, you're like his kid. <laughs> Who knows what I'm talking about? You used to have money, now you have kids. <laughs> and I don't know when it stops. Maybe at some point. 
All y'all 50 plusers, maybe you can lecture me later. I don't know. I took my son up to camp on Friday. He's doing a work term at Pioneer this year. Every time I go up, I'm breaking them off like a couple hundy slice. I'm like, here you go, kid. I mean, it's my money, but he's my son, and I don't want him to starve. You know, and I'm carrying stuff out of his room, and I'm driving him up. Sending them texts. Good morning, baby. I love you, man. I'm going to achieve greatness at church. What are you doing today? I'm connected to him. I, I give everything for him. Why? Because he's my son. When it comes to my son, I'm in for a penny. I'm in for a pound, man. And last time I checked, the scriptures says that that's kind of like God is with you. He's kind of like that with you. Even if you end up costing 100 times what you think you're worth, God will pay the price. I give Egypt as your ransom. Cush and Seba in exchange for you. Seba is Sheba. Remember the Queen of Sheba? The legend of the Queen of Sheba? The riches of the land of Sheba? It's worth less to God than you, his people. Right? Thank you, Lord. Why? Because you're precious in my eyes and honored and I love you and I give men in return for you, peoples in exchange for your life. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Romans 8, 31 through 32. Church, this promise in Isaiah speaks to the original Judean exiles through the as yet unexiled people of as yet unconquered Jerusalem with an even greater Savior ultimately in mind and your fear and judgment problem in its heart. That's a 2,500-year-old prophecy that's intended through all those moments culminating in Jesus for you. And this is serious stuff because from verse 5 through 8, north, south, east, west, to the ends of the earth, to even the blind and the deaf who don't even know they have a problem yet, I will gather you, says the Lord. Could it get any more comprehensive? Do you see how God is covering all the bases here because he knows how serious your fear problem is? I got it. I got the north, the south, the east, the west. Heck, the ends of the earth. I got this. In fact, even if you're blind and you have eyes, meaning you don't know that you have a problem, even if you're deaf but you have ears, meaning you don't know that you have a problem, I got you. Back to the one teachable point of today's sermon. So relax. Relax. Um, but what about all you A-type people? You immediately were like, yeah, but what about this? And what about that? And what about this? And what about that? Before you ask too many questions or decide that you know best, hear the word of the Lord, beginning at verse 9. All the nations gather together and the peoples assemble. Hear this. Who among them can declare this and show us the former things? 
Let them bring their witnesses to prove them right and let them hear and say it is true. You are my witnesses, declares the Lord, and my servant whom I have chosen, that you may know and believe me and understand that I am he. Before me no God was formed, nor shall there be any after me. I, I am the Lord, and besides me there is no Savior. I declared and saved and proclaimed when there was no strange God among you. And you are my witnesses, declares the Lord, that I am God. Also, henceforth I am he. There is none who can deliver from my hand. I work, and who can turn it back? This is beautiful. God is not worried about us putting him on trial. In fact, he says, bring it. He's like, come let us reason together, declares the Lord. It's like, you want to argue? Let's argue. He's not worried about it. In fact, he considers you, his people, to be his witnesses. Why? In the words of verse 10, that you may know and believe and understand that I am he, says the Lord. You ever wonder about why you exist? This is one of the reasons for your existence, to be God's witness in a world that is in need of salvation. You are his witnesses. Why? So that you may know and believe and understand that he is God. Church, your growing knowledge of belief in, your growing understanding of, your ongoing development of a belief in who God is, your acceptance of his reality is the evidence a skeptical world needs that in the words of verse 11, besides me, there is no Savior. It's your belief, it's your conviction that trumps the world's skepticism. Period. Besides him, there is no Savior. He declares, he saves, he proclaims that he is God. None can deliver from his hand. He works and none can turn it back. So, what am I going to say? Relax. Relax, because victory is coming. Verses 14 through 21. Thus says the Lord, your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel. For your sake I send to Babylon and bring them all down as fugitives, even the Chaldeans in the ships in which they rejoice. I am the Lord, your Holy One, the Creator of Israel, your King. Thus says the Lord who makes a way in the sea, receive it, a path in the mighty waters, who brings forth chariot and horse, army and warrior. They lie down, they cannot rise. They are extinguished, quenched like a wick. Remember not the former things, nor consider the things of old. Behold, I'm doing a new thing. Now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? I will make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. The wild beasts will honor me, the jackals and the ostriches, for I give water in the wilderness, rivers in the desert, to give drink to my chosen people." The people whom I formed for myself, that they might declare my praise. What does victory look like? Bullet points, verse 14. Here's what victory looks like. Those who imprisoned you will be imprisoned. There will be justice one day. Ah, Sign me up for that. What does victory look like? Their strength, that thing in which your enemies boasted, that thing they used to use with which they dominated you, that very thing, the ships of Babylon will become the vehicle of their captivity. You see the poetic justice here? 
they would have used those ships in the future years that Isaiah was prophesying about to take the people of Judah captive and to ship them off to Babylon. And before it even happens, the prophet of God is saying, those same ships are going to be used to bring the Babylonians into captivity themselves. That's what victory looks like. I mean, that's only comforting if you've ever been abused, broken, destroyed, taken for a ride, forsaken, forgotten, struck down, cast out, or despised. That's what victory looks like. Verse 16, you know what victory looks like? Past provision is going to show up today. Why is he invoking the horses and the chariots who got overwhelmed in the sea? Because the Red Sea event is in the past, and the Jewish people knew that God set them free from Egypt with a strong and mighty hand. The prophet says, those stories aren't just things of the past. Past victories will appear again today. What does victory look like? Verse 17, those who would destroy you will be destroyed. I know it's very unchic in our kind and gentle world to talk about destruction. But every time I come to a difficult passage like this in Scripture, I think about all the great and many evils in the world that go on every day of our lives with no one to stop them. And that is why this word brings me comfort. Because I know that the day is coming when the God of the Bible will make all things right. And when he will vanquish the powers of darkness and every evildoer who will not repent. That's what victory looks like. It's beautiful. Behold, I'm doing a new thing. Now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? I will make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. The wild beasts will honor me, the jackals and the ostriches, for I give water in the wilderness, rivers in the desert, to give drink to my chosen people, the people whom I formed for myself, that they might declare my praise. He's doing a new thing. Don't you see it? It's beautiful. The waymaker, river crafter, beast tamer, thirst quencher is going to work on your behalf so that you might praise him. That would have been a good moment for you right there. Yes, Lord. He is going to work on your behalf. But like always, um, we eat too much sourdough. So we always screw this one up too. Yet you did not call upon me, O Jacob. But you have been weary of me, O Israel. You have not brought me your sheep for burnt offerings or honored me with your sacrifices. I have not burdened you with offerings or wearied you with frankincense. You have not brought me sweet cane with money or satisfied me with the fat of your sacrifices, but you have burdened me with your sins. You have wearied me with your iniquities. Is this true of you? We don't call on him. We treat worship like a chore. 
and godliness like a burden. Meanwhile, we burden him with our sins. Surely, he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. And the chastisement for our peace was upon him. And with his stripes, we are healed. Isaiah 53, 4 and 5. That, that's the gospel, man. That's the good news of Jesus Christ. Jesus lived the perfect, sinless life you never could and died the sinner's death you should have died to deal with your sin problem once and for all so that you could be restored to right relationship with God, which is the reason for your existence. I, I am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake. And I will not remember your sins. Put me in remembrance. Let us argue together. Set forth your case that you may be proved right. Your first father sinned, and your mediators transgressed against me. Therefore I will profane the princes of the sanctuary and deliver Jacob to utter destruction and Israel to reviling. In the gospel, the sin of your first father Adam no longer holds claim over you. But only in the gospel. Because of what Jesus did in dying on the cross once for all. The sin of your first father and your first mother Eve no longer has a hold on you. And worship team, I'm almost done. And on a lighter note, the transgressions of your spiritual leaders including those of a sourdough-eating, football-coaching, skinny-dipping moderate who loves ice cream a little bit too much. Those sins aren't going to ruin your life, and neither will yours. Why? Because He will blot out your transgressions and remember your sins no more. Which is why... You should never forget him. You've heard me say it a hundred times. The overall testimony, the claim, the teaching at the core of the Old Testament is two words. Remember me, saith the Lord. Because he will remember your sins no more, you should never forget him. God forgets your sin, so you remember him. That's good, right? God forgets your sin, so you remember him. Verse 26, put me in remembrance. Let us argue together. Set forth your case that you may be proved right. Right? 
best day of my life. Or, transliterated in the Hebrew, Iskeruni, Nishpata Yachad, Sforata, Lema Antizdok. Remember me, here it is. We will be judged together. So count that up so that you become righteous. Y'all feel that? When I wrote that, I jumped up. I started running laps. When I reviewed it, asked the worship team this morning. I got to the end of it. I burst into laughter. His keruni, remember me, nishpata yachad. We will be judged together. Sforata, count it up, you leman, so that tizdok, you become righteous. I never heard anything better in all the Bible than God telling me we're going to be judged together, me and him. I never heard anything better in all the scriptures. The Lamb of God in my place. His blood poured out. My sin erased. I never heard anything better. Guilt or shame making you fearful? Remember this. You can't win. Because you'll always be guilty of something. But God can. God can win. So... Stick to him. This is from my mother-in-law. And relax.